imagine that you're at the beach. It's a perfect day. It's sunny. It's crowded. You're there with your kids. Uh, the lifeguards have called people out of the water a few times because the waves are kind of rough and windy. And then you notice all of a sudden that you don't see your five-year-old. So you, you begin to look around. You don't panic too quickly. Um, but you see his pail and his shovel. He's not there. You, you ask the older siblings, hey, where's your little brother? They haven't seen him for several minutes. And you start to feel it rising up within you. You start to feel fear. You uh, went to the doctor for your regular checkup. You uh, get a call from the doctor, which is unusual. Usually they send you a text or an email. But he calls and says he'd like you to come in. He'd like to talk about the results. You begin to feel it rise up. You, you've got fear. You're, you're a 16-year-old. You're getting ready to take your driver's exam. You're waiting in the room. The door opens. A girl walks out crying. Out walks a huge state trooper and says, you're next. You feel it rising up. You've, you, you've, you feel afraid. You've got fear. Fear is, is a natural response that we as human beings have. Uh, not all the time, hopefully, but from time to time, we, we, we feel fearful. We, we wouldn't be alive if we didn't feel fearful once in a while. So why is it that Jesus asked the question of the disciples that we're going to be looking at today when we see in Mark chapter 4, as we're starting our sermon, or continuing our sermon series, questions Jesus asked. Jesus asked the disciples in Mark 4, why are you so afraid? Let's take a look now with me at Mark chapter 4, beginning in verse 35. That day when evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, Let us go over to the other side. And leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified. And asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Why are you so afraid? Jesus asked. Now, doesn't seem to be a particularly sensitive question, does it? I mean, the disciples are in a storm on a lake. The boat's being swamped. They, they think they're going to die. I mean, Jesus should be more sensitive, more understanding of their situation and their feelings. I mean, if your spouse comes home from work and, and they're, they're stressed out, they've had a really rough day and they're talking about it. If you're wise, if you're a wise spouse, you're not going to start with, why are you so worried about it? Just chill out. Where's your faith? Not that I've ever tried that. So, Or if your kid is scared of playing in a big game, they're really nervous about being on stage or being on the court. A good parent isn't going to start with, why are you so scared? Suck it up. Come on. What's going on here? Why does Jesus, to the disciples who have reason to be afraid, why does he ask them, why are you so afraid? 
Now, this is a situation where I think it's helpful to see what Mark, who is the author and kind of compiler of these stories, editor of these stories, he pulls them together. It's helpful to see how Mark arranges things. And so in the beginning of chapter five, we come to another story right after this. And it's a strange story beginning in verse one. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. And no one was strong enough to subdue him. And night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. So kind of a Hulk-like figure. Nothing can hold him. And on top of that, he he self-mutilates. He's a tortured soul. So right before this, Jesus stills the storm. He gets out of the boat. Immediately they meet this this guy with with supernatural strength. And and, And the demons within this man, they recognize Jesus as the Son of God. They are afraid in turn, and they ask him, don't send us out of the area. So Jesus sends them into the pigs, and then they drown themselves, which is... Okay, what's all that mean? We'll get into that. A different sermon, not today. You know, it freaks out the pig herders. They run to town. The townspeople come back because it's hard for them to believe. They see this man who they've been scared of, who they try to chain. He's sitting there in his right mind. He's at peace. He's at ease. No longer tortured. And they see Jesus. And the disciples' minds at this point have to have been blown. I mean, they've seen a lot with Jesus, but calms the storm. The winds and waves obey him. Now he casts out demons. It says in verse 20, all the people were amazed. Of course they would have been. So how's, how's this so far help us understand why Jesus asked a question earlier? Why are you so afraid? We're going to connect the dots, but stick with me a little bit longer. Let's continue now. Verse 21 of chapter 5, we find a different story. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side, so just to kind of keep us on track here, chapter 4, they leave, they're in the middle of the night in the storm, moving across to the other side. They meet this crazy guy, they get in the boat, they go back to a different part of the boat, to the lake. And it says, when Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, A large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him. My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she'll be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. You know, when your child is suffering, when you're a parent and your child is suffering and they're in pain and and, and you can't do anything about it. It's a, it's a, it's a horrible, horrible feeling. I, I remember sending my daughter Anna off for surgery on her ears when she was a preschooler. It was, it was the most helpless feeling. There was nothing I could do. I wish I could have taken her place, but I, but I couldn't. But much worse than that, a parent's worst nightmare is the death of a child. And some of us have experienced that. So, so Jairus here, his daughter's dying. There's nothing he can do about it. So he turns to Jesus. Jesus goes with him. 
And thankfully, Jesus doesn't start with, why are you so afraid, Jairus? But Jesus doesn't seem to share the same urgency that Jairus is feeling. I mean, Jairus would have preferred, I'm sure, if Jesus would have broken into a run or at least a brisk walk. But as Jesus makes his way to Jairus' house, we read this, verse 24, another story. A large crowd followed and pressed around Jesus. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. What this means is she's had a perpetual period. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she got worse. Some of you know what that's like. A medical condition. You try different doctors. Nothing seems to work. And you're running out of time and energy and, and strength and, and, and money. Let's continue the story. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his, his, his clothes, I will be healed. She does. And it says, immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. Now, can you imagine what this woman had experienced over the past 12 years? Chronic pain and suffering, weakness for 12 years. And because of Israelite law, she would have been considered unclean because she was bleeding. Which meant she would have had to stay away from people. So on top of her pain and suffering for 12 years, she, had, she also would have felt deep shame and rejection and isolation. In a moment, she touches Jesus. It's all gone. And Jesus stops and talks with her. But meanwhile, Jairus, his, his fear is, is rising. The clock is ticking. Time's running out on his daughter. And his fears are justified because he gets the message that his precious little girl is dead. It's too late. But with Jesus, it's not too late. We, we read through the story. He goes to Jairus' house. He, he, he raises the girl up from the dead, restores her to her father and family. Now, that's a quick run through a lot of verses and four stories which seem to be separate and distinct here in Mark. But what's all this have to do with Jesus' initial question? Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Well, in this passage, Mark introduces us to four problems, four sets of people who have one thing in common. They face impossible situations, impossible problems. I'm not talking about a big problem where you have the main character and through prayer and work and, and character, they, they overcome and they, they, they end up triumphant. No, we're talking about impossible situations. They've exhausted every human hope. Every avenue of hope. There is nowhere else to turn. They're at the end of their ropes. And what happens when we end up in a place like that? Huge, impossible problems. Our first emotion, our primary emotion is, is, is fear, is paralysis. By fear, it's despair. It's a lack of hope. So how does this all connect? Well, the first Story, Jesus and the disciples are in a storm that's threatening to kill them. Now, storms are something that no human being can control. We can't control a tsunami or a massive flood or a tornado. 
a lightning storm. We can't control those things. Earthquakes, we call them acts of God, right? Only God can help somebody caught in a storm on a lake like Jesus and the disciples were. Next, we have a man who has an army of evil spirits tormenting him. And we live in a modern age and, and, and many people would be skeptical and say, nah, there's, there's no such thing. But if you believe in God, who is supernatural and good, as most people on earth do, then why would it be illogical or irrational to believe in supernaturally evil forces? C.S. Lewis warned us that there are two mistakes we can make in regard to this. One is to disbelieve their existence. Uh, the other is to feel an unhealthy or excessive interest, obsession or fear of them. When faced with sheer evil, it's only natural to be afraid, right? In the third and fourth stories, we have two medical crises sandwiched together. Both have things in common. They both involve women. Um, both have medical issues that are beyond human help. Um, and both of them uh, are ceremonially unclean, according to the Old Testament. One because she's bleeding all the time. The other because she's sick and then she dies. But there are some differences. One has a name, the one is nameless. One comes from a family with influence and connections. The other is destitute. She spent everything on medical help that hasn't helped. One approaches Jesus uh, openly, the, the Father. The other is hidden and approaches Jesus from behind. The main thing they have in common is they're hopeless. They're afraid. They are terrified. Now, when you think about it, pretty much every type of problem we face in life, for the most part, is here in these four stories. Natural disaster, evil forces, sickness, financial problems. The woman spent everything she had on medical issues that didn't help. Loneliness, isolation, and of course, death. And when I think of the things that I encounter as a pastor when I work with people, pretty much covers most of them. And in Mark, look at how Jesus shows that he has authority over all of these hopeless situations that nobody else can do anything about. These, these, these destructive, deadly problems are hopeless in the presence, in the power of Jesus. In the storm, Jesus says, quiet. Be still. Like you say to a child, hey, be, shh, 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 just calm down. Jesus is shown to have authority over nature. And the disciples know that only God has authority over nature. So that's why they ask, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. We see that Jesus then in the next passage has Authority over, over evil, over demonic power. Jesus takes someone who is naked and demonized and, and, and tormented and he transforms him into a, someone who's in his right mind and he's the first missionary to the, to the Gentiles. The, the, you have the woman who has this discharge of blood. He doesn't even do anything to heal her. She touches him. She's ceremonially unclean. But through Jesus' purity and holiness, she's made clean. Jesus is shown to have authority over disease. And then there's a 12-year-old girl who, who dies. Jesus touches her hand and says, little girl, I say to you, get up. And we see that Jesus has authority over, or over even death. 
These are all problems beyond human help, but none of them are, are problems for, for Jesus. So Jesus says, why? Why are you so af- afraid? Now, to clarify, Mark is not saying that if we follow Jesus, he will calm all of the storms we face. He will heal all of the diseases that we have. He's going to deal with all of our problems. He's not saying that. Jesus himself said we will have trouble in this world and that there are times we're going to suffer for his name's sake. But what what Mark is, is telling us through this passage is compiling these stories together is that is that despite the, the effects of sin in our world, that in the effects of evil in our world, that Jesus has authority over all these things that stand in opposition to, to the kingdom of God. He has authority over all powers that are hostile to God and that threaten to destroy us. So back to the question Jesus asked. Why are you so afraid? Jesus knows what we're going to experience in life. He became a human being like us. He thought firsthand, up close and personal. And so when he asked the disciples and he asked us, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? He's, he's not chastising them, I don't think. I think he's, he's urging them and he's, he's inviting them to trust him. And then he goes on to show them in these four different stories, why they should trust him. And that they can trust him. In the midst of natural disaster, of evil, of physical suffering, and even death. You know, we live in a world that you turn on the TV, you look at, read something on the internet, and up is down, and down is up, and things that we used to think are good are now called evil, and things we used to think are bad are now called good. There's natural disasters, there's war, there's disease, evil being perpetuated by evil people. It can be overwhelming, it can be frightening and terrifying. The foundations seem to be shaking at times. But I I love how the prophet Isaiah speaks of God's presence with us when we're afraid. Listen to this from Isaiah 43. But now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob... He who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. And when you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. When our kids were really young, we, you, you put them to bed and you, you talk to them a little bit and they ask questions and stall, right? But you, you pray with them and then you, we, we put on a, a CD, maybe a story CD, often um, songs, music. One of our favorite CDs to put on was the song of kids singing scripture songs. And, and one, that, one of my favorites, one that always touched my heart uh, and one that I thought of in regard to today is from Psalm 56.3. Very simple, very pure. When I'm afraid, I will trust in you. I'm going to invite Paul to come out and start playing. Uh, we're going to close with a song. Um, he's going to start playing. 
I'm going to encourage you before he invites us to sing, uh, just to reflect and to think. We all have things that make us afraid. It, we might be afraid for what's going on in the world. Maybe afraid for our marriage or our family, our kids, our parents. We could be afraid for our health, our finances, whatever it might be. We all have things that cause us to experience that fear rising up within us. So I, I want to encourage you during this time as Paul's playing before he asks us to sing, just to reflect and to bring those things, identify those things, bring them to Jesus and, and, um, and, and trust in him. Because as we've seen and as we know, Jesus has authority over all the things that cause us fear. When I'm afraid, the psalmist wrote, I will trust in you. Let's go to the Lord now. Shall I 